Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office supplies at huge savings? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 133 in Edmonton. Brendan Escott here on Oilers Now. And I'm pleased to be joined on the River Cree Resort Casino Hotline as we shift focus a bit here by the voice of the Brooks Bandits. But Tyler, I know you're so much more. It is Tyler King out of the south of the province. And uh, listen, the year that your team just had, there's a lot to be proud of. So I want to start, Tyler, just by asking you what it was like to have the build up to the National uh, Junior A Championship to put it on and then to have your team win it. So just walk us through that. Well, it was the pinnacle of everything that the Brooks Bandits have put together over these last seven to eight years. I mean, this is a team that when they first came into the AJHL was in the worst facility in the league, didn't make the playoffs for its first four years of existence, didn't win a playoff series till 2006. And I, ever since the takeover by Ryan Papuano of this team has completely transformed its identity, especially in a, in a city as small as this one is. I mean, only a, a population of maybe 15,000, if you're being generous, for it to become you know, the top place in Alberta for NCAA Division One bound talent to go and one of the top places in all of Canada, competitive in that way with other places across North America, uh, is really a testament to all the work that went into that. So to then host the National Junior A Championship, to go undefeated in it, to have that cap off the most successful regular season in the history of the Alberta Junior Hockey League, I hate to say it because it was a lot uh, of uh, really out-of-the-ordinary um, accomplishment but in a, in a way, it felt ordinary from a Brooks Bandits perspective because it was what everyone expected them to be capable of. Right. You guys have set an incredible standard down there. And you got a little bit of vindication because it was the Prince George Spruce Kings out of the BCHL that you played not only in the Doyle Cup final where they had the Brooks Bandits number, but then you get to avenge that on the grandest stage in junior hockey in Canada, right? Oh, absolutely. And Prince George, the great thing about them was they were they were such a, a worthy rival for the Bandits, too. I mean, you were talking about, obviously, a league in the BCHL that I wouldn't hesitate to say the Bandits as an organization are trying to be competitive with in, in terms of organizational quality. That's, that's definitely what we look to. And Prince George comes in with an incredible amount of talent, uh, you know, an incredible fan base, similar in a sense to the Brooks Bandits uh, in that way. And, and, and as you said, had an incredibly competitive Doyle Cup that was, I thought, a lot of fun. It was a bit of a weird series, of course, because you had the Alberta and BC champions playing each other, but you're really just playing for pride because both teams had automatically made the National Junior A Championship. So I think it was once we got to that tournament that we really saw what those two teams were capable of when they went against each other. And as we expected, both in the in the round-robin stage and then in the final, uh, we had some nail-biters with uh, real back-and-forth entertaining hockey, some of the most entertaining hockey, I would say, at the amateur level, even at the pro level, that you'd be treated to see. 
Now, you were you were really on the ground for this event being put on uh, late in the spring, and I'm curious what kind of draw there was. I imagine it attracted people to Brooks who otherwise never would have gone there, correct? Oh, absolutely. We had people throughout the year, frankly, who had said, even though this arena is you know, a five-minute drive away from the city proper, it's actually technically in the county of Newell, the Centennial Regional Arena is. Um, there were people who had said, I've never been out here to watch a game, or I haven't watched a Bandits game since they were at the old Centennial Arena downtown. As I said at the time, one of the worst facilities in the AJHL. And then when we got to that final, I mean, it was absolutely, utterly packed. You didn't have two empty seats next to each other anywhere in this building. Um, you know, even as the host committee chair, I'll be quite honest with you, I didn't see most of the game because I was behind people the whole time. The standing room was three people deep. The media box was full. The luxury suites were full. Um, and it was absolutely a transformational event, I think, for Brooks. And one of those things where everyone in this community who's even a, a tiny hockey fan is going to say that they remember where they were when this event came to town and when the Bandits uh, became hometown national champions. So, Tyler, uh, we chat with Tyler King right now. He's the play-by-play voice of the Brooks Bandits, but uh, pretty much the guy for news, notes, and otherwise out of the Alberta Junior Hockey League. We know there's a lot of turnover at this level of hockey, guys uh, committing to universities, uh, particularly down in the States. Uh, We're starting to see more and more of that. As far as the turnover goes for Brooks, where do they stand as far as uh, likelihood to repeat? Uh, Maybe not even as national champions, but certainly the kind of season that they had, that's going to be tough to mirror. Absolutely. I mean, there's no question it'd be tough to repeat a 57-win season when we now got a 58-game schedule. No question about that. But (laughs) you know what? It's it's interesting in terms of the challenge it presents because this has been the question we've had for the Brooks Bandits for the last four or five years straight in the course of which they've won more championships than anybody else is always how do they repeat or improve on this level of quality when you only return about a third of your team. You know, the classic way of becoming competitive in junior A used to be doing it in three-year spurts. And your your peak year would always be full of veteran players who are in their third, usually, third or fourth year with the organization. And with the Brooks Bandits, odds are if you come in at a young age, you're off to college by the time you're 18 or 19, like Kale McCarr was, for example. If you come in at 17, 18, you might be off to college by 19. So there's very few three- and four-year guys in Brooks, they've been kind of victims of their own success because players move on so quickly. But that's where the talent of this coaching staff uh, comes in because they find players who want an opportunity. And when they're looking for an opportunity to be with a competitive team that's going to develop them and prepare them for the NCAA, or in some cases, find them opportunities in the NCAA that they couldn't get elsewhere, they're looking to Brooks first. So they've created this model, and you see it in BC with Penticton. You see it uh, in other uh, leagues as well, where even though they don't have a lot coming back, even though just based on returning talent, you would say, you know what, this is going to take a while to get back to that level. They're able to inject so much talent year after year. And as a coaching staff, they run a system that's so darn modern, progressive, and effective that it means the Brooks Bandits are always going to be competitive in this division until others start to kind of narrow the gap. We are chatting with Tyler King, who is, uh, well, friendly. We'll call you a know-it-all about this league. And because of that, (laughs) Tyler, I want to ask you about what happened in Calgary over the course of this year. We know that there was some financial instability with the Canucks, and then we're sort of blindsided, at least up in the north part of the province in some sense, when the Mustangs end up being the Calgary AJHL team that folds. So is it just too competitive of a market down there? What's going on? I don't think so at all. I think it's a very different type of market. I mean, the way you run a junior A team in Calgary is completely different from how you would run it in Brooks or Drumheller or Fort McMurray or Grand Prairie because the sports landscape is is so completely different. 
there's been that argument that you can't have a successful junior team in or close to a major market. But then you've got teams like the Spruce Grove Saints that are able to do it regularly. And as of recently, the Sherwood Park Crusaders, who, although they've been successful on the ice in the past, have over the last few years shown that, yes, you can attract people to go out to those games, cheer on their team, and generate revenue for an organization. And I think what's so tragic about the Mustang situation is they were doing pretty much everything right in terms of how they had really tried to modernize their organization. They leveraged a lot of the ability they have in Calgary in terms of recruiting volunteers, in terms of recruiting board members, to really be productive. And then, of course, most importantly, they had a head coach and GM in the form of Tyler Drader, who once he was given full control over that team, I thought did an amazing job of creating a very competitive group of players, made some, I think, very astute transactions to load up his roster. And we saw those results then translate onto the ice. Now, nonetheless, you should always be looking to improve. So the Mustangs started looking at relocation because there were areas they thought they could be more successful. And I think that's absolutely the right thing for them to do. So they look at Strathmore, and unfortunately for them, the league and the Board of Governors didn't agree that was the right move for them to make. But the long-term goal for the Mustangs should be to return to this league in a market where they think they can be just as successful on the ice, but maybe have a bit less pressure on themselves off the ice. And with all the rumors swirling around that Black Falls is going to be the new place for them to go, I think that's a perfect fit for them. I think it's, it's really unfortunate we might have to be in a situation where we're short a team in this league for up to two years, and I think the way it's adjusted the schedule is going to hurt everybody in this league because we lose out on a home gate. I think the fact that we see players from the Mustangs who are not a bottom-tier team, they used to set records for losing streaks, they were one of the best in the South Division this past year, but a lot of their best players, when the team took its leave of absence, ends up signing with BCHL teams. I think that's a really unfortunate development that happened there and kind of defeats the advantage you would see in the league contracting. You would like to think that the talent will get concentrated among fewer teams, but if a bunch of them go to BC, that doesn't quite happen. So as much as I don't think it obviously ended up being a very positive story, in the long term, we may end up saying this was the right move for the Mustangs. There were just a few bumps along the road. Chatting with Tyler King from the Brooks Bandits program, but uh, an AJHL pundit. And with that, I want to know about some of the coaching changes that we've seen over the offseason. Fort McMurray, and and I believe they had a general manager change over there as well. Uh, What does the coaching landscape look like? I I seem to think it's more in the North Division that uh, we're seeing the impact of that. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, Fort McMurray is the main one. Uh, You had uh, a a real hectic offseason for them, of course. They had... Uh, Tom Kekka not brought back after uh, several years of uh, bringing them back uh, to, I-, I thought, relative competitiveness. His assistant, Dave Dupont, takes over, and then just as they're starting to gear up for the season, he leaves, and they promote Bob Beatty, who, of course, has a long, long history in the Junior A game in the BCHL, most known for winning championships with LaRange in the SJHL. So he's taken over there, and, and it's going to be kind of juries out on Fort McMurray because although they made some interesting trades in the offseason to bring in some 20-year-old players to maybe shore up a roster that had lost quite a bit, um, you're always kind of going into uncharted territory when it comes to your, your opening year with a new coach. Elsewhere in the North, of course, Whitecourt Wolverines will have their first full year with Sean Martin as the head coach. He succeeded Gord Thibodeau, who, of course, is well-known to people in the Edmonton area as the winningest coach in the AJHL. He, in a way, benefited his successor a ton because Gord probably made some of the best trades in the league last year, shipping off some of his more talented players when he knew Whitecourt wasn't going to be super competitive, and then having future considerations in the form of guys like Caleb Ergang from Okotoks, uh, Tyson Scott from Drumheller, a lot of uh, people coming through that are going to, I think, boost their fortunes. And then, of course, Nigel Dubé and Lloyd Minster as well. He's going to have his first year 
uh, under the helm in the North. But then it kind of puts into perspective the teams that have the stability in this division. And you look at the guys who were the top three last year. Sherwood Park has had that Adam Mana, Kyle Chase one-two punch for a few years now. Bonneville's been stable with Rick Swan. Spruce Grove's been stable with Bram Steven. Is there any reason to believe yet that those guys can be challenged as the dominant three in the North division in the short term? I'm not sure you can make that argument. And that's a perfect segue into what I wanted your thoughts on next is, is there going to be much of a shuffle up at the top of either division? There's not been a tremendous amount of loss up here in the north in terms of the turnover uh, and, and down south. I, mean, I wonder what Okotoks might look like without the likes of Dylan Holloway, but they're just perennially successful, as is Brooks. So when you look at the south and the north, who are you projecting as sort of the top teams there? Well, I mean... I'll preface this by saying every time I make a prediction in August about the AJHL, I'm always 100% wrong. And if there was anyone that was going to tell you that the Brooks Bandits were going to win 57 games last year, it wasn't me. I'm always the, the eternal pessimist until I don't have to be anymore, and then I'm the eternal optimist. So don't take anything I say as being based on any genuine knowledge or anything like that, which I guess kind of defeats the purpose of having me on as a guest. But I'll continue nonetheless. Uh, if you look at the North, what I'll give you maybe is a couple of dark horses, because the best bet in the AJHL is always on a repeat. I mean, you've had a decade here where only two teams have won the AJHL championship, Brooks or Spruce Grove. So the safe bet is always on the same teams being competitive. But you always have those dark horses who suddenly break through. One example I think is primed for one this year are the Canmore Eagles in the South. And the reason I say that is if you want to look for a junior team, this goes at pretty much any level of junior. If you want to look at a junior team that's going to be poised to be really hot and uh, really effective off the start of the season, look for the percentage of their roster that's returning players, in particular third and fourth year guys. The Canmore Eagles have a ton of that coming back this year. They have the fact that although they were bottom dwellers for years and years and years, people forget that Andrew Milne, their head coach and GM, he's been around this league almost longer than anybody else. So they're a team that kind of flies under the radar, no pun intended, because they're the Eagles, but I think could be poised to do a lot more. They had a very good season a couple of years ago where they finished second in the South. Their key flaw, and this will be familiar for people on the Sherwood Park side of things too, is they could light the lamp but sometimes had trouble keeping the puck out of their own net. I think that then becomes the question for Sherwood Park as well, which has some of the best returning talent in the AJHL. Can they shore up things defensively so that they're able to be competitive through playoff time as well? But in the North, the only other team I would say keep an eye out on are the Drayton Valley Thunder. The reason I say that is because with Eric Thurston on board there, of course, former University of Alberta head coach, they have finally got some stability for the first time in what feels like forever. And those are the two key things for me. Stability in terms of roster, guys who are returning, but stability in terms of coaching staff, not having to make changes all the time. That makes recruiting easier. That makes your players more invested in your program. And though I'm not saying Drayton Valley is going to finish first in the North or anything like that, I think between them and Canmore, they may be the teams that beat expectations this year. That's what we want to see in the AJHL, of course, because the more competitive this landscape can be, the more entertaining it's going to be for the fan bases, too. The voice of the Brooks Bandits joining me on the River Cree Resort Casino Hotline. It is Tyler King, and we mentioned no more Dylan Holloway. He's off at the University of Wisconsin. Reed Morrison has aged out of the league. Uh, I'm not sure whether really William LeMay is returning to the Brooks Bandits, but there's your top three scores. There's your marquee players in a league that we've seen produce at least one of them in the last few drafts. Who are the players to watch this year? I know there's a couple here in Sherwood Park that have uh, turned some heads of NHL scouts. No, no question about that. And I think 
you know, it almost starts uh, outside of the league leaders. You look at goaltending and you look at Carter Dylander in Sherwood Park, who, of course, had to split time his first year around, but, you know, proved his capabilities and obviously drew a lot of that NHL attention, not to mention guys like Carter Savoy and some of the youngest guys in the AJHL. I mean, Carter Savoy is an 02. Look at Corson Kuhlman's an 03 defenseman in Brooks, who was only able to play five games last year because of that silly rule that hopefully Carter Savoy's brother is going to be able to prove to everyone should be changed, but that's a whole other issue. Uh, of course, and Coleman's is going to play a full year with the Brooks Bandits coming up. He's not draft eligible either, of course. It's very early for him, but he impressed a lot of people and was a regular playing defenseman for the Bandits at the National Junior A Championship. So I think on the older side, you look at a guy like Guy Lander on, in terms of someone between the pipes, and then you look at pretty much all Sherwood Parks roster, and in terms of the Brooks Bandits, you're actually looking at some of the younger guys in the league this year. I think that's pretty good uh, sign for the AJHL because you didn't see that as consistently over the last, let's say, seven to eight years since I've been in the league. Usually our eyes are always on the 19 and 20-year-olds and guys who are already committed to NCAA Division One schools and are just playing out their final year. Now we're starting to talk a lot more about guys with pro potential, guys with NHL draft potential, and although we're a little bit behind the BCHL in terms of that wave of player consideration coming our way, to me it's better late than never because there aren't many junior A leagues in Canada that can say they're getting that type of attention. So I'm hoping to see a lot more of that. And what I think might be the best thing for the AJHL this year is that we don't know who's going to be the guy that comes in and jumps on top of the league. I mean, William LeMay, no one even knew he was going to be playing for the Brooks Bandits until the season started because he was an acquisition uh, that kind of uh, came out of nowhere for people. It's not like the Bandits announced him in June or July or anything like that. So I'll be really interested to see how a lot of the GMs in the AJHL have done their recruiting over the course of this season and whether we're going to see some brand new names that come in. There's nothing wrong, of course, with doing that, with importing players from other areas of the country because they make everyone elevate their game, they make the game more entertaining, and they make the league more competitive. So I'm hoping we see a lot of unfamiliar names kind of jump out at us too. And I, I want to know, and we'll leave you with this, Tyler, the growth in the league as a whole. You've been around for a number of years now to see it, and of course you've been part of that uh, that number one program. But you just mentioned it. Some more import players are starting to see this as a destination, and players that are using this as an avenue ultimately to get to the NHL by virtue of NCAA Division One, the rights that get forfeited when you sign a, a standard play, player agreement in the WHL. So just in your opinion, what have you seen change in your time with the Brooks Bandits across the league. I think I go back all the way to my time with the Fort McMurray Oil Barons, too, when I first started in this league. It all comes down to the quality of the individual franchises in the AJHL, and in particular, who's pulling the strings, calling the shots, and what their objectives are. I think as much as we sometimes try to overcomplicate it, what does it have to do with location, with facilities, with the league, with marketing, all those kinds of things, those all do play a role, but nothing can be effective in terms of drawing the best players to Alberta unless the people who are convincing the players are able to do their job exceptionally well. I've already mentioned in Brooks, I think you've got a head coach and GM and a coaching and scouting staff in general that's been doing an excellent job of that. I think Kyle Chase would say that's his goal in Sherwood Park is to attract top-tier talent. Spruce Grove was doing that for the longest time, defying the people who would say, oh, you need a really good facility in order to draw top-tier talent and convince players to go the college route instead of NCAA. Well, Spruce Grove has shown you don't need that. The Brooks Bandits have shown your location can be a place most of your roster has never heard of until someone calls them from that organization, and you're still going to be able to draw that type of talent. So I think credit is due to those top-tier franchises, and what I hope we start to continue to see, because of course the list of that number of franchises has continued to grow year after year after year. I'm hoping other 
uh, parts of the league and, frankly, the league overall in and of itself will realize that some of these franchises have charted a path that anyone can follow them on. And if we do that, I think it's entirely within the realm of possibility. The AJHL not only could rival the BCHL, I think it should. And we should be talking about a real 1A, 1B punch in the CJHL in terms of drawing the most elite talent. I think that would be great for everyone who follows the AJHL for sure. Absolutely appreciate the time and the insight from Tyler King. I look forward to bumping bumping into you in the rink in the near future, Tyler. Thank you. Anytime, Brandon. Thank you. That's, uh, hey, you're hearing it from the class of the league right now in terms of of player development, recruitment, uh, striving for the national championships. Uh, It's out of Brooks, but again, Tyler's AJHL mind is, is pretty much... Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. rivaled by none. It is 152 in Edmonton. Brendan Escott with you on Oilers Now. We're back to wrap up the show after this. This is Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. Royal Pizza is celebrating 50 years here in Edmonton, and they're still making it great. On now through October, Royal Pizza is offering the Combo Special, your choice of Greek or Caesar salad with garlic toast, two medium gourmet pizzas, and four anniversary cookies, all for $50. Pick that up at any one of their 14 locations around Edmonton. (laughs) This day in Oilers history is kind of a ridiculous one today. It is. Uh, asking from Red Deer, why did I not ask about the Camrose Kodiaks? Uh, you know what? They're they're an underrated team, is simply put. Kyler Kupka is their their shining star player. Uh, I know he's committed. I don't know whether he'll be returning to that franchise. If he does, that's certainly a candidate to lead the league in scoring this year. Uh, they've got a good thing going. Camrose is a dark horse team. I almost wish they played more in the North Division. Given the location, it just kind of makes sense. If you picture the rivalry there 40 minutes away from Sherwood Park, that'd be a good one. It's going to depend on where teams get moved around or a team, I suppose, uh, given what happened to the Calgary franchise. Uh, Personally, I I wonder what's wrong with a market like Airdrie or Cochrane, considering that Spruce Grove and Sherwood Park are doing just fine here in Edmonton by all accounts. So why are the Calgarian suburbs not able to support that kind of thing? I wish I had more insight on that. And that's why we talk to people like Tyler King. So he's saying Black Falls, Alberta. That's not too far outside Calgary, if I'm not mistaken. Interesting stuff. A couple more texts here as well as we uh, we wrap this up. 
the topic of the day. What is your sports guilty pleasure? Any obscure sports, says a texter out of Edmonton. Any obscure sport reviewed by Aussie Man on YouTube. I encourage you to check it out because those are hilarious, but it's not PG. It's not PG, so hide the kids' ears. Uh, out of Grand Prairie. Moto GP, gotta love the old guy Valentino Rossi up against the reigning champ Mark Marquez. Is that like street bikes? Interesting. Ping pong. A couple people saying ping pong. I got tweeted ping pong. Oilers GM is saying ping pong is fun. Fun to play, fun to watch. Absolutely. Nothing wrong with that. Another kind of Pong might favor the younger generation, as we know. Back on this day, as we go to this day in Oilers history, back on this day in 1965, former Oilers goaltender Randy Exelby is born in Toronto. He played just two NHL games. That's why you don't recognize his name. One came with Montreal. The other came with the Oilers in the 1989-1990 season. He allowed five goals on 30 shots, ended up playing just one more season of pro hockey, now resides in Arizona, where he runs a chain of hockey stores. Again, Randy Exelby. Tonight on Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, it goes from six to eight. They've got a loaded show. Edmonton Eskimos kick returner, Christian Jones, the Alabama Crimson Tide alum. FC Edmonton player, uh, Easton Ungaro. Kirby Dock, third overall pick, and Sherwood Park cyclist Kelsey Mitchell, who won gold and silver at the recent Pan Am, Pan Am Games in Peru. Goaltender of FC Edmonton, Connor James, will be joining his teammate in studio as well. Tomorrow, we've got the Legends of the Game series continuing. Keep it locked on social media to find out who the special guest is for tomorrow. Up next, we've got a global news weather traffic update with Cassandra Jodwin, followed by the 6.30 chat afternoon news with guest hosts Morgan Black, Brad Whisker, Brendan Escott saying, as always, I appreciate your contributions. We'll talk again tomorrow. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.